Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you for another week of my commentary and opinion and information and maybe a little bit of history. Some of you have known that the um, midterm elections went well for the Democrats, not so much for the Republicans. They lost a number of House seats. We know the day after the returns came in, President of the United States, Donald Trump, fired Jeff Sessions, who was his attorney general. And a lot of people are not that unhappy that it happened. I'm one of those that's not that unhappy. I uh, worked for the Department of Justice for six years. Five of those years I was stationed in Washington, D.C., and for one year I was a special counsel for the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands where I worked. I liked the Department of Justice, although you work hard, you feel that you're doing the country's work, you are prosecuting laws. I was a federal prosecutor. As a result, many people don't know what federal prosecutors do. We generally prosecute and investigate the federal laws, bank robberies, drug deals, conspiracies, things like that. Also in Washington, D.C., we did the local crimes. So I handled a lot of murder cases, did grand jury work, and I thought I was doing God's work. I liked working for the Justice Department because I thought and always think that the Justice Department is doing the right thing. However, a number of people, and I'm one of them, don't believe that that general, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, was the best best mix for our country. As a matter of fact, David Cole, who's a professor at Georgetown, and some other people have said that uh, Sessions oversaw a Justice Department that systematically undermined civil liberties and civil rights. And I think that's true. Mr. Sessions left the Justice Department far less committed to justice than he found it. Under President Barack Obama, the department expanded the rights of LGBTQ individuals. He responded aggressively to police abuse. He directed federal prosecutors to use their charging discretion widely, or wisely rather, to reduce mass incarceration. He promoted voting rights, also reduced reliance on private prisons, and commuted lengthy sentences imposed on nonviolent drug dealers. All of those things were great. That is what needed to be done. I know how the Justice Department worked, and those are the kinds of things that for years they were striving to do. Mr. Sessions could not re-incarcerate the men and women whose sentences Obama commuted, but that attorney general reversed almost everything else. Instead of protecting the most vulnerable among us, the Justice Department under Jeff Sessions targeted them. One of his earliest Actions was to rescind guidance requiring schools to allow transgender students to use the bathroom associated with their gender identity. 
In then ongoing litigation, he abandoned the the Justice Department long-standing position that Texas voter ID laws were racially discriminatory. He sought to back out of a consent degree with the Baltimore Police Department, requiring it to reform its civil rights violations, and issued a memo as he was leaving office that radically curtails the federal government's ability to impose reform on abusive police departments nationwide. That's not good. Attorney General Sessions directed federal prosecutors to pursue the most severe charges possible against criminal defendants, regardless of mitigating circumstances. Now, that is awful because that is not what federal prosecutors are supposed to do. We're supposed to look at all the evidence and make a decision, a charging decision, taking in to count mitigating circumstances as well as aggravating circumstances. Don't just go to to impose the most abusive sentences you can get. Attorney General Sessions reversed 20 years of consistent Justice Department policy to support an Ohio practice of purging voters from the rolls for failing to vote. His most egregious actions, as many of you probably know, were with respect to immigrants, a group that cannot defend itself through the political process because they can't vote. Sessions defended Trump's travel ban, which barred interest to the United States to tens of thousands of people from predominantly Muslim countries. He also imposed quotas on immigration judges, which the judges themselves have made it impossible to provide fair hearings to those whose cases they are adjudicating. Now, most people don't know about immigration judges or immigration courts. I've spent a lot of time in those courts, and I teach about immigration law. There are 236 immigration judges in the United States system. Many of them see over oversee deportations. Every immigration judge is chosen by the Attorney General of the United States. And basically, he's making it harder, or Mr. Sessions, made it harder for immigration judges to do their work. Also, Jeff Sessions sought to punish cities and towns that choose, as their right under the Constitution, to leave immigration enforcement to the federal government. It's called sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities are cities that don't want to use their own local police and law enforcement to round up immigrants. That's for the federal government to do. But, of course, the most cruel of all things that Jeff Sessions did was to promote and defend President Trump's family separation policy in which young children were forcibly taken from their parents for months at a time. These were parents who had tried to come from uh, Central America, some from Mexico, seeking asylum in the United States. And basically, if they crossed the border, the parents would be arrested and the children would be taken from them. Now, the problem with that policy is that not only was it cruel, children were forcibly taken for from their parents for months at a time, often without even accounting for where the children were sent and held. 
This was done as a way of deterring immigration to the United States. Well, it didn't work because we still have people coming to the United States seeking asylum. Why? Because asylum is part of our law, and it's part of international law, and we're supposed to adjudicate cases of asylum and not take parents away from children or not take children from parents. So Attorney Jeff Sessions will not be missed as far as I'm concerned. He has done a lot to do away with civil rights with respect to things that had been in order and were working well. But he did bow out when the ethics people said he had to recuse himself from the Mueller investigation. He couldn't oversee that because he may have been involved with it. He was part of the Trump campaign and was part of the um, transition. Now, we don't know who will be our next full attorney general. Right now we have an acting attorney general. His name is Matthew Whitaker. Matthew Whitaker was put in because Mr. Trump thinks he would be loyal to him. The reason that Sessions was fired, the President of the United States did not think that Jeff Sessions was loyal to him. That's not the way our system is supposed to work. But that's what President Trump wanted. He also fired the FBI director for the same reason, Mr. Comey, who would not say that he would be personally loyal to the president. So I'm out of the Justice Department. I worked hard when I was there. I learned a lot. I think I helped the country. But I hope that we get a new attorney general that will uphold the law of the United States and try to do the right thing and follow the civil rights laws that have been promulgated by Congress. Now, probably I've said more than you want to hear, but there's more I want to say. I just found some information that reported hate crimes in America rose 17% last year. That's the third consecutive year that such crimes increased. Law enforcement agencies reported that 7,175 hate crimes occurred in 2017, up from 6,121 in 2016. Now, the sharp increase in hate crimes came even as overall violent crime in America fell slightly. It fell by 0.2%. Of the more than 7,000 incidents reported last year, 2013 were targeted up to black Americans, while 938 targeted Jewish Americans. There were incidents targeting people for their sexual orientation, which counted for 1,130 reported hate crimes. Anti-Semitic hate crimes rose 30% in 2017, and hate crimes against Muslims declined a little bit, down to 200 to 11%. Now, again, why are we having this? I can say a lot. I can say we can blame it on President Trump. I think he's part of the reason. I'm not an apologist for him. I think that he is doing things in purpose on purpose because he's in the pocket of the Russians, I don't know exactly what they have over him, but he's certainly doing things to make America worse again rather than great again. He 
constantly fans the flames of white grievance. White people think they've been victims in our society because of diversity, because everyone now gets a bite at the apple. Well, that's wrong. I hope that hate crimes go down. I hope the Department of Justice keeps fighting them. Here's another story that I want you to know about. I came across this. This comes out of Minneapolis. Now, I've worked with the police. I'm not anti-police. When I was a federal prosecutor, I worked with the police. One of the training things I had to go through is that you ride with the police on occasions to learn how they do their job and how they uh, go and get people who have warrants out for them. I learned a lot from that. But sometimes police officers do silly things. Here's a headline. Minneapolis police decorate Christmas tree with racial stereotypes in a majority black neighborhood. Now, I've been to almost every state in the Union. Haven't been to Hawaii. Haven't been to Maine. And I haven't been to Minnesota. But this story comes out of Minnesota. It talks about it looked as though a couple of police officers went dumpster diving for ornaments. Hanging from the Christmas tree inside the Minneapolis Police Department precinct were half-crushed cans of steel reserve malt liquor and crumpled bags of potato chips and Funyuns. There was a cup from the fried chicken joint, Popeye's, and two packs of Newport cigarettes. Some pieces of actual garbage scented the tree, and there was a single strand of yellow tape that stood in for tinsel. The report says if the police thought this was a joke, nobody was laughing. It has been thought of by people in Minneapolis that these pieces of trash were deliberately chosen to represent how certain police officers feel about the community that they serve. That black people are a stereotype to be mocked in the lives of those they serve may as well be reduced to trash in the gutter. Now that's a quote from a city councilman by the name of Philippe Cunningham, who represents constituents in the majority black near north neighborhood, where the Minneapolis Police Department's fourth precinct is located. The mayor of the city thought this was very bad. The two Minneapolis police officers who created this display were placed on leave last week in response to fierce backlash from both American African Americans and public officials, including Mayor Jacob Frey, who described the tree as, quote, racist, despicable, and well beneath the standards of any person who serves the city of Minneapolis. Sounds good. Three years ago, the community that we're talking about organized or organizers led an 18-day occupation outside of the 4th Precinct Station to protest the fatal shooting of Jamar Clark, a 24-year-old black man. Since that time, activists said at a news conference that they had hoped the police would be doing everything possible to improve their relationship with the near-north Minneapolis community rather than going out of their way to strain those relations. Well, this has been very bad. The mayor wanted to see these two police officers fired said they should be fired. That would send a clear message to them. The police chief said he will not tolerate this kind of values. 
But within hours, the mayor had to walk back his statements about firing because they have a process that they have to go through to investigate what the, the police officers did and what was in their mind when we did this. Of course, the police officers said it was just a prank. It's not the kind of prank that we need. All right, folks, you've heard my haranguing about civil rights, the attorney general, about the racist Christmas tree in Minneapolis and about how hate crimes are on the rise. I hope it will all abate. Now let me tell you something good, I mean really good. Over the weekend, that is a Thanksgiving weekend, I had a chance to go and see a movie. It's called Green Book. It's really a good movie. I mean really good. It is the story of a African-American who's a pianist and a psychologist who goes on a trip through the South. He has a driver who is um, of uh, Italian descent. I think he lived in the Bronx. And uh, he's sort of a tough guy. He used to be a bouncer at a nightclub in New York. They didn't like each other to start with, but they learned that they needed each other. Very good movie. Oscar talk is on about this movie. If you like movies, go see it. This is Birdsong. I'll be back. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you. I have a guest today. His name is Dr. Ira Williams. I came across him because he wants to talk about how we can make the death penalty more humane. Those of you who've heard from me before know that I'm an advocate against the death penalty. I go along with what the Pope said a few weeks ago, that the world should do away with the death penalty. It's not going to happen. At least 35 states in the United States do have the death penalty. It's cruel, in my opinion, to put people to death. Our guest says President Trump has said he wants to reinstate the death penalty across the board, but it's for each state. He then talks about Ohio's ex- execution of an inmate back in 2014 that ended up a mess because of the long and fitful time it took to kill this person. Regardless of your position on the death penalty, maybe everyone can agree that it needs to be humane. Dr. Ira, this is Birdsong. How are you today? Doing good, Birdsong. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I have talked to you a little bit about the death penalty. I am intrigued by what you write and what you suggest. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I forgot to mention that you were in the U.S. Air Force. You were a major in the navigate, navigator and bombardier for a number of years, and also you are a board-certified oral and maxillofacial surgeon and anesthesiologist. Tell us about what you think should be done to make the death penalty more humane, Doctor. Well, it's really quite simple. As a 19-year-old cadet, I was chosen in my flight to be disconnected from my source of oxygen at the equivalent of 30,000 feet, and they gave me a deck of cards to separate by color, and when I wouldn't release the 50th card, they reconnected me. I I lasted about not quite 60 seconds with useful consciousness. That's the term you're looking for. And quite frankly, you know, I was just peacefully going to sleep. 
this is what happened to Payne Stewart and his friends and and his and his pilots when this, they lost this, this pressure. Was, this was this was the golf for Payne Stewart, right? Yeah. And what you do if you if you were to create a pressure chamber about the size of a dental operatory and put a table in there that could be configured like a chair at first and uh you take them up to the equivalent of 30,000 feet and and disconnect them from oxygen and you just peacefully go to sleep and and it is the most painless and humane method you could ever imagine the other beauty of this system is that decision makers can experience this safely as I did as a 19-year-old cadet I also went through the pre, uh pressure chamber three more times while I was uh on active duty flying and uh and also with the guard and and the reserve I was I was activated out of my internship for the Cuban crisis hmm. So I had uh, over 24 years in the Air Force and the Reserve and the Guard, and uh, and I was flying with the Wisconsin Guard while I was in my surgery residency. Uh, but I'm brought. I'm glad you brought up the Ohio execution in 14, because that that person was not suffering. What people saw, I describe in my report I sent to you. Uh, the first thing that happens is is your brain dies, right? And and your voluntary muscles cease, uh, cease to function. You quit breathing, but your heart is still circulating blood and bringing CO2 back to the lungs. Mm-hmm. And when the lungs fill up with CO2, you have carotid bodies in the carotid artery in the neck just as it bifurcates into the internal and external carotid. And those carotid bodies uh, trigger the the lungs to expel the excess CO2. Okay. And what they saw in this gasping was nothing more then the body, uh, the heart continuing to circulate blood, and 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 the person, uh, while brain dead, was involuntarily expelling excessive CO2, and they do this for three, four, five, six times. It would vary in people until the heart stopped, and this is normal physiology. And so what they saw and they thought was him struggling or whatever was just normal physiology of of the body expelling ex- excessive CO2 in the lungs. But it and doesn't I, look good, does it? No, but I'm and I say in my in my report I sent to you, I was at the bedside of my late father-in-law when he died in a hospice bed in our home. He died of cancer. And I was there with a stethoscope, and uh, I could tell when his brain died by uh, spreading his eyelids and put a flashlight in, and the pupils were dilated and did not react to light. And yet with a stethoscope, I could tell his heart was still beating strongly. 
and then he went into the, uh, you know, uh, releasing of the CO2, and I told his wife and my wife, his daughter, what was going on so they would not be disturbed. And it and it cycled about four or five times, and then his heart stopped, and everything ceased. And I'm very disappointed that no one in the medical community has ever publicly uh, explained what was going on because I tried to contact the Attorney General DeWine, who I think was just elected governor of Ohio. His yeah, office, he was. His office to explain that, and I spoke to one of his staff attorneys a couple of times, but they never took any interest in what I had to offer. And, well, and I, Dr. Dr. Howard, let me just cut in here now. Let mm-hmm. me let me take this road. Generally, hanging has been done away in all the states. Some states still have the death penalty by the electric chair, or you can have lethal injection. Problem with lethal injection, we can't get the chemicals to kill the people to do well, the executions. Now, so so my question, what I'm really coming to, how much might it cost a state? to come up with some kind of pressure chamber that can do this kind of perhaps humane Well, I, I, don't, execution. I don't think it, it's, it's going to be that difficult to construct a pressure chamber about the size of a dental operatory. You're not going to have to have one like the Air Force has where you can take 12 or 14 people in. And, uh, and so you can keep it fairly simple. And plus, as I said, what I would like to do is get some decision makers from the federal government and several states. Uh, there's a pressure chamber at Shaw Air Force Base about 40 miles from Columbia, the capital of South Carolina. I was stationed there briefly in 56. Mm-hmm. And, and if we took some of those in, people in who are decision makers, I would go in with them and I would voluntarily be the first one disconnected at 30,000 feet because they're not going to allow a retired major to die in their pressure chamber. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and, and let them experience that it's so peaceful. You don't fight it. You don't, you know, you just, you don't realize you're just fading off as your body uses up the oxygen in your, in your system. Uh, and, there's oxygen in the chamber at 30,000 feet, but you don't have the pressure to help get it in the lungs. Right. I understand and that. So, uh, and, and if you go at 35,000 feet, they would lose useful consciousness even faster. Right. The higher you go, the quicker it would be. And so I lasted almost 60 seconds. As a 19-year-old cadet at my age now, I'd probably last about 30 seconds. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you're going to get in this pressure chamber, but uh, it sounds better than lethal injection. It sounds better than the electric chair, and it certainly sounds better than hanging. I know one state still uses firing squad for their execution. That's Utah. Well, but at any rate, I want to thank you for coming on, Doctor. Uh, it, I, although I'm not a death penalty advocate, this sounds humane, and maybe you can get some traction if well, you go if, to the if, states if and the, go to if the governors. If the man in Las Vegas hadn't killed himself and he was in jail, do you think he would deserve to be executed? 
Who was this? I and mean, I didn't have to hear the first part. The man part. in Las Vegas that that blew out two windows oh, in the hotel yeah. so he could shoot down. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I have to take this position. If I'm against the death penalty, I'm against the death penalty. Um, but it's up to the state. And, you know, exactly. the Supreme Court says that uh, it's not cruel and unusual punishment to put a person to death who's committed a heinous crime. Yeah. But And, and I, uh, I think a majority of the people would support a, a method like mine that is painless and humane. That needs you need. Well, no, they, they they don't no. understand it though. That's what you're saying that you don't people yeah. don't know enough about the process. Yeah, and that that's why I'm looking for you know a platform to present this, and I'm hoping somebody will help me connect with the White House. All right, well that won't be me, Doctor. But look, it's great <laughs> talking to you. Thank you for coming on with Birdsong. Hey, All right, great talking to you, Birdsong. Thank you. <laughs> All right, bye bye. This is Birdsong with you. We uh, just finished talking to Dr. Ira Williams. He has uh, got a humane way of the death penalty. He's talked about it. Hopefully he'll get some traction. Stick with us. There's more. Folks, said I'd be back, and I am. I'm here now with some dumb criminal law stories and some riddles. Our first dumb criminal law story for this week comes from Ireland. The headline says, Bam Chop. Bam Chop. A man who took his pet sheep chops into a little, that's the name of the town, little supermarket, and pleaded with shoppers not to buy lamb products, struck a store security guard with a metal pole after he was asked to leave. His name, Andrew Manise, he's 33, was sentenced in mid-July of this year to two, to four months in jail for that July 2017 incident. Bam chop. <laughs> Ireland, huh? Here's one from Kansas. The headline reads, He's hot for hot rods. A drunken man allegedly tried to have sex with the tailpipe of a parked car. Not once, but twice. Neighbors saw Ryan Malik, 23, allegedly attempting to insert his manhood into a vehicle that didn't belong to him near an apartment complex in the town of Newton, Kansas. Police later saw him pulling the same move, and he was charged with lewd and lascivious behavior. Yes, it does sound lewd and lascivious. A story from Kentucky. Her first parking ticket. It's been reported that a three-year-old toddler is celebrating her first parking ticket. An officer in the town of Covington spotted a toy BMW perfectly parallel parked. The officer left a summons on the kitty car's dashboard stating, quote, You did a great job of parking and we appreciate it, end quote. He and his colleagues filled the car with presents, including a teddy bear. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Louisiana says he got the 411 the hard way. It's been reported that Christian Palacios, 24, called police in the town of Thibodeau, Louisiana, to learn whether he had any active warrants out for his arrest. Police confirmed that he had no warrants, but then they charged him with unuse, unlawful use of the 911 system to make a non-emergency call. He got the 411 the hard way. Massachusetts. 
The old two-for-one outcome, says the headline. It's been reported that one DWI arrest turned into two when a tow truck driver dispatched to haul off an allegedly drunk woman's car was arrested on the same charges. Patricia O'Donnell, 51, was stopped by a state trooper one weekend in Hyannis, Massachusetts, in July of this year and was charged with DWI. Then Brandon Fenton, 25, headed out to pick up the vehicle and was also charged with DWI after he was spotted swerving on the road by the same trooper. The old two-for-one outcome. (laughs) Minnesota, the headline says, Hell hath no fury like when a man rejected Pan Hia Vang's marriage proposal. She raced off in his Hummer at speeds of 80 miles per hour with the man clinging to the roof. After he fell out, or fell off the roof, he was rushed to a hospital with multiple broken bones, police said. Vang, allegedly drunk, was charged with car theft and criminal vehicle operation resulting in substantial bodily harm. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, I guess they mean. Glad he didn't marry her, huh? <laughs> Here's one from Missouri. It says, a flaming fool. We learn that a forgetful minivan driver left a St. Louis gas station with the nozzle still attached, spraying gasoline onto a bright blue Lamborghini Hurricane vehicle. The $400,000 sports car burst into flames and was destroyed. Luckily, no person was hurt. I hope the Lamborghini owner had insurance. (laughs) Here's a story from Northern Ireland. The headline read, He went from the cooler to the freezer. A convicted cocaine dealer has a new job. What is it? Driving an ice cream truck. Parents are not so sweet on Shane Carton plying his trade at the popular East Strand Beach in Port Rush, Northern Ireland. Carton had been arrested for selling dope and forced to pay a $170,000 fine in 2007. Now he's got an ice cream truck. He went from the cooler to the freezer. Here's one, Russia, headline, Love in the Slow Lane, sounds like a movie title. We learn that drivers stuck in a huge traffic jam in St. Petersburg, Russia, were not bored one day in the summer of 2018 this year. Why not? They were able to spy a horny couple in one of the cars who passed the time with some stand-up sex, their upper bodies bobbing out of the open sunroof. The man finally gave his lover a kiss on the hand, and they drove off. No arrests. Or made. <laughs> Love in the slow lane, huh? Here's one more. Story out of South Africa. The headline said, Seeing Double. We learn that a groom's ex-girlfriend gate-crashed his recent wedding ceremony wearing what? A bridal gown and a veil. She also strolled down the aisle. The groom is seen on video trying to calm the intruder while the real bride stands feet to, stands feet away, crying and trying to keep it together. Seeing double. How awful. <laughs> At your wedding, your ex-girlfriend put on a wedding dress and veil and marches down the aisle. 
Well, those are our dumb criminal law stories for this week. These stories never end. You can go to my web, my um, blog, birdsongslaw.com, and you can see some more of these stories. Or you can go to Amazon.com, where I sell my books. Just type in Professor Birdsong's Dumb Criminal Law Stories. Here's some riddles for you. What is the most timid part of the body? What is the most timid part of the body? That's number one. Second riddle. Why do people carry umbrellas? Why do people carry umbrellas? And finally, the third riddle. Why are calendars so very popular? Why are calendars so very popular? All right. Those are our riddles for this week. They're not that hard. I'll come back at the end of the show and give you the answers if you haven't figured them out. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. There's more. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you. We're coming to the end of the show. I have a Paul Harvey story for you. It's from his last book. It's called Paul Harvey's For What It's Worth. These are stories that have been sent to him over the years that are a little funny or a little interesting, and he would read some of them on the air. Here's one that I'm going to read for you. It comes from North Carolina. In North Carolina, a state trooper stopped an obviously drunk driver. While he was ticketing the man, there was a multi-car accident on the other side of the divided highway. The highway trooper took the drunk, nope, the highway patrolman, start again, the highway trooper told the drunk to wait. The trooper went across the highway to sort out the accident. After a while, the drunk figured he'd been waiting long enough and he drove on home and told his wife that if anybody asked, she should say he had been in bed with the flu all day. Within the hour, two state troopers appeared at his home and asked his wife to see him. He came from his bedroom wrapped in a robe and coughing and sneezing. The state troopers asked if he had been driving that evening, and he said he had been sick in bed. They apologized for bothering him and asked if they could take a look at his car. He said yes. He was wrapped up in his robe. Nevertheless, he escorted them to the garage, and inside was the state trooper patrol car, the blue lights still flashing. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, here are the riddles. I guess you want the answers to them. What is the most timid part of the body? What is the most timid part of the body? Well, it's the nervous system. <laughs> Second riddle. Why do people carry umbrellas? Why do people carry umbrellas? Well, it's because umbrellas can't walk. <laughs> Finally, why are calendars very popular? Well, they must be popular because they have so many dates. <laughs> Those are our riddles for today. I've got a thought for the week that I want to give to you. Here it is. Listen and think about it. I used to say, I sure hope things will change. Then I learned that the only way things are going to change was for me when I change. 
Think about that. This is Birdsong. It's been great being with you. I hope to talk to you next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye.